So good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. Today, I have John Michael Parkin. He is a filmmaker and documentarian who just did a movie called At War with the Dinosaurs. This documentary focuses on hydrogen energy versus electric energy, the inefficiencies, pros and cons of each side. So John, please talk about your movie and uh, what your goals are. Sure. I mean, it, it was a labor of love, of course. Um, it took a long time to make. Uh, it was my first documentary that I've done, and uh, it was a tremendous learning experience. And and basically what I did when I set out to make the doc is, is just try and find what the successor to fossil fuels would be. And so we looked at everything you could possibly imagine, you know, short of magic. And um, we, we, you know, went to nine, technically 10 different countries, um, just doing research and interviews and, and, and filming. And uh, I, I think we made a pretty good case for why, you know, hydrogen and fuel cells coupled with electrolyzers are, are really sort of gonna change the entire energy paradigm of the planet. It, it really is gonna you know, be able to tie intermittent technologies like wind and solar, you know, so we can capture the wind when it blows and the sun when it shines, harness that in hydrogen and use it whenever we want. And then if, if when we wanna use it is 20 years later, that's it's perfect. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it was great. It was a good experience. Now we're just trying to get the word out and let everybody know about this, uh, you know, fantastic invention from um, 1838. I was going to say, you know, this is not new. It's just it hasn't been as widely accepted as electric. And I'm a fan of both. I've, I've said that many times. I think we need energy diversification. I think we need multiple sources of energy, not just one. But one of the things about hydrogen that um, I particularly like, especially with green hydrogen, is we generate a lot of waste energy. Um, I recently learned a term called rejected energy. So that's actually the, the new term from waste energy to rejected. It's unharnessed, it's unused. And people are capturing that and using it for hydrogen purposes, which is fantastic. Um, why are people so slow to adapt hydrogen? Why do you think that happened? Um, to, to find out about it and adopt it? Yeah, you know, people are just reluctant. Um, it just, you know, from the, I have seen your documentary. It was extremely informative. And I was personally surprised that the Department of Energy slashed funding repeatedly for decades. Yeah. So there was no R and, or research, and, research and development done on hydrogen, whereas electric was aggressively pursued. So why, yeah. was, why did that happen? It, it was disappointing because, you know, it was done by folks who would normally think, you know, uh, there were physicists and, and just sort of look at this from, you know, just a, a you know, completely scientific view. Um, and you would just say, oh, this has fantastic energy density on the order of, you know, plutonium and uranium um, and thorium. Like, we should do this. <laughs> you know, it should be one of the things. But yeah, yeah, they did. They did slash it. it. You know, one of the nice things is is that Congress put the money back. It took them months, and they destroyed lots of companies, um, an untold uh, amount of companies um, that they they wrecked by slashing it. They they turned China away from doing hydrogen and fuel cells, and so China looked at other things like batteries. You know, I, I've been struggling with this question a lot, and I will say that. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with this uh, idea that's been sold about how simple 
it is to just fill a battery with electricity and go. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, not just a mystique about it, but there, you know, batteries have been things we've been using for hundreds of years, uh, at least a hundred years, right? There's been battery electric vehicles where, were some of the first, uh, automotive vehicles out on the road. Yeah, and, absolutely. um, interesting enough, the first internal combustion engine ran on hydrogen gas and, and oxygen, but, um, I'd have to go all the way back to like, uh, like 1809 to, to talk about that, but um, no, you know, they, the, the battery, you know, pure battery electric um, ideal has sort of captured the imagination. And so uh, they've done a, an excellent job at um, <clears throat> lobbying and sort of painting this picture of this, you know, you know, battery electric uh, world. And the thing is, the, the truth is that batteries are not going to solve the, you know, our problems uh, far from it. You know, I think that they're, they're going to create a lot of problems in the process. I am not against battery electric vehicles. I, I had one while we were making, where we we're doing post-production on the documentary. Oh, cool. um, I, I drove one during the entire post-production process. And I got to tell you, it was the, the Chevy Volt and GM did a fantastic job on that that car. And I love that car. It's hands down one of my favorite cars I've ever had in my life, honestly, more, more favorite than some other fun cars that I've had. And, um, you know, the hydrogen folks have done a really, really crappy job <laughs> at, <laughs> at, at selling, you know, uh, their wares. And so that, that combination, um, you know, I, I think has done uh, a lot of damage and there's a, there's a catch up that's going on right now. So, yeah. so basically UC Irvine took a look at this and, and the hydrogen fueling infrastructure and deployment is tracking basically where batteries were six or seven years ago. Hmm. It would be a lot further along. I, I've really sort of thought about this a lot after the dock was finished. Um, and I think that um, they, made a, they made a bunch of mistakes so California was this fantastic testing ground, right? Largest state would have been the yeah. sixth uh, wealthiest nation if it's, it was its own nation. And so um, they put um, a number of stations in. The automotive OEMs, including like Larry Burns at GM, had been begging for years to just put 40 stations in a concentrated area. <clears throat> well, the state didn't do that, but they put some stations in. And so basically, you know, the state learned from that process um, how to grow this network and how to, you know, get OEMs interested and iron out all the problems that they're having, you know, delivering the hydrogen and having enough on site. And one of the mistakes that they made is they relied on one company to, wow. to furnish 80% of the hydrogen in the state. And so whenever that company company had issues, um, they failed to use the backup company that, that they had signed an agreement with. They just sort of let these things called what I like to call hydrogen mageddons where, you know, there's a dearth of hydrogen available and people are running around from station to station trying to find it, or in some cases just garaging their, their cars. I think that has done a bigger, uh, you know, amount of damage to the experiment in California than even sort of not having enough stations, right? Because right now there's 48 stations and it took a while to get there. But um, 
I think if those stations had just had hydrogen available to it, um, whenever customers demanded it, yeah. what we saw is very early on because the hydrogen fuel cell vehicles that Honda, Toyota, and Hyundai were offering were, were um, very good bargains. I mean, they were giving you the hydrogen for free for three years, yep. like $15,000 worth. Yep. And the cars were inexpensive. Uh, they were subsidized, you know, in Toyota's case by Toyota itself, were, you know, was also subsidizing the cars to the tune of something like $20,000 in Toyota cash. Wow. But, the, but the other car makers, were, you know, the vehicles were so ex exceptional and they had all the latest bells and whistles that you'd want on a vehicle um, that they were a great deal. And so very early on, you know, the drivers, the consumers of these cars sort of leapt over the first movers and those on the vanguard of, you know, electric vehicles because a hydrogen fuel cell is an electric vehicle, just like a battery electric. Yeah. You're just getting your electricity from hydrogen. So very early on, a lot of people, a lot of just regular, normal, everyday consumer just said, Hey, there's a hydrogen station near my house and I've got this great deal on the vehicle. It's like, it's going to cost me, you know, two or 300 bucks a month. And, uh, all my fuel is free for three years. I'm, I'm going to lease it or buy it. And, you know, because of the fact that, you know, every once in a while, you know, people would be at the behest of trying to get hydrogen to these stations and it created a, a real problem in the state, not once, but multiple times. That was a huge, huge issue. Yeah. No, yeah. I know. And I mean, again, I, I strongly support <clears throat> energy diversification. I think we need multiple sources. But one thing I do like about hydrogen vehicles is the fact that filling up your tank is, I think they average five to seven minutes. So pretty fast. Yeah. And the range, um, the Toyota Mirai was at 402 miles. That's right. And that's really impressive and not knocking the electric vehicles. It's just the technology will get there. They're developing as we go. But that's the convenience factor that so many people are addicted to. Gas cars have a certain range. Filling up, you can go anywhere and you're in and out in five minutes. Yep. So we have to just get back to that convenience factor. And if people think about the first cars, the first petroleum cars out there, right? they had eight miles to the gallon, I think is what I read. Gas stations were not readily available. So you just strapped a couple cans to your car, which is hugely dangerous, but that's what people did. And so we're just kind of learning again. We're starting again, and we need more people to at least acknowledge hydrogen's an option. Acknowledge that it's there. Give it the proper funding. Everything comes down to money. It really does. Yeah, it does. And without the research and development and funding and you know scientists getting on board, we are going to have a constant battle. And that's what your documentary, please watch that, guys, goes into a lot of detail about the history of the hydrogen vehicle and the adaptation process. That's what I liked most about it personally. That was me. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the first uh, gasoline station, the public one was, I think, 1907. And the next one didn't come online until 1909. So it was like two years later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, people were, were <laughs> getting gas in all sorts of ways. But, um, you know, I one of the things I also like about fuel cell vehicles, because I after the dock was out, um, I realized you know, I hadn't driven either type of electric vehicle, either flavor, battery electric or, or hydrogen fuel cell when we were actually making the dock. It was only when we were sort of putting the finishing touches on it. Um, 
And I, so I finally went out and I got, I got a great deal uh, on a Toyota Mirai, um, a deal that I honestly hadn't seen ever. And I still haven't seen to this day. So, so I got one and uh, my fastest fuel time is uh, three minutes and 40 seconds from empty, um, which is great. Um, and the first weekend I got it, yeah, I, you know, I was in West LA and the first weekend I got it, I jumped in the car and I drove to San Francisco. Why? Because I could, I didn't check the stations. I didn't check whether or not there was going to be hydrogen. I I'm actually lucky. There's a hydrogen station about uh, a mile and a half away from uh, the house. And um, you know, you have to take the, the five, not the 405, unfortunately at this point, one of the five just assumed Harris ranch where all the Tesla vehicles are charging, oh, yeah. um, had hydrogen fuel at that station. It did. And, and I was off and running. And then I, when I was up in San Fran, I just, I did the ring around the Bay area. It's, it's lined with hydrogen stations and that we just went from one to another and filmed little, uh, sorry, filmed little videos and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, um, it's great in, in that sense. Uh, it's also great because, you know, like something like 95% of the vehicle is recyclable. Um, the precious metal that's being used on board right now is platinum, but they're using as much platinum as they use in a catalytic converter. They're literally painting it on at the nano level at this point. Oh, wow. um, the cars are a lot lighter than a battery electric vehicle. So battery le electric vehicles weigh the same, whether or not they're filled with electricity or they're empty, right? And a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle gets lighter as you go, but, but, you know, just the, the fuel cell, the tanks, it's, smaller you know these vehicles now go over 400 some can go even over 500 miles depending on how you drive uh because they just add um a little bit bigger tank um okay on board so so yeah it's it's a win-win in a lot of respects and i think the biggest win is uh centralized fueling so the way yeah. we've been fueling for the last hundred years doesn't change and by switching to a battery electric lifestyle, it does change. I, I gotta tell you, I reached for the charger in my garage for a full month after <laughs> I was driving the, the fuel cell electric vehicle. A full yeah. month. You got used to it. Cause you yeah. get used to having to charge, you know. It just uh, kind of just becomes, okay, I'm parked and charged. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. It, it, was, it was pretty bad. I mean, I, you know, it was a Volt, it was a hybrid and I just refused to drive on any gas at all. So I was constantly trying to, to charge the vehicle. And in the, in the time that, you know, we were, um, you know, uh, making the, the documentary and in, in post, uh, you know, I was driving about 120 miles uh, a day total oh, wow. and to get to the, the production facility. Um, and uh, not a, not a new, charging station came online at that point the stations that were there were either not working or they were vandalized yeah, I mean, yeah. i've seen i've seen the vandalized ones because they go after i believe the copper wiring which there's not much you can do to stop people unless you have them constantly monitored or locked down at night yeah it's a challenge it's a problem yeah um so when wrapping up where can people find your documentary? Because I highly, highly, highly recommend people watch this. It's extremely informative. I was glued to my monitor when I watched this. And I, John, I emailed you right after. I had goosebumps. I was like, this. there's so much information in there, so much education in there. 
I highly recommend you watch it. Keep an open mind. I know people have very strong feelings about one thing or the other. Just watch it all the way through. So where can we find this? Well, thank you for that. You should see the four hour cut um, <laughs> if you want information. Um, yeah, so it's on iTunes. Uh, it's on uh, Google Video. Um, it's on, uh, sorry, Google Play, Amazon oh. Video. And it's on, for folks overseas, it's on Vimeo On Demand. Not regular Vimeo, but Vimeo On Demand. So those are the places. And then we're also, you know, doing screenings as well. Um, so we'll we'll do like a Zoom screening and things like that with a with a large group of people. So we're we're totally open to that as well because we just at this point want to get the word out, you know, yeah, and just let and, people know. And that's what I liked about the documentary is it's information, it's education. It is not yelling and screaming at people. It's not, you know. Oh, how do I put this kindly? Not not yelling at people. Just saying this is information. This is education. This is what's out there. This is the knowledge. You can make your own decisions. People can come to their own conclusions, and that's what's important. And that's what you guys do. Definitely is. It definitely is. I mean, we we tried to be as scientific about it as we we possibly could, and just sort of you know let the people that we were interviewing you know, speak for themselves and, and talk about sort of the areas that, that they knew best. Yes. And, uh, and they, I think they did a really good job. I, you know, we, we had well over a hundred interviews and, and there's a bunch of them that I wish we could have, uh, you know, we could have put in there, but uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe in some special features. Oh, I like the special features add on edition. So um, everyone check out at war with the dinosaurs, check out John Michael Parkin check out this video, watch it. It is available. I will put it in the links as well so you guys can find it. But it's extremely informative. Everyone can draw their own conclusions, but at least educate yourselves, communicate, talk to each other in a nice, open, friendly format. Hence, therefore, no shaming, no blaming, and every little bit helps. <laughs> so thank you for this, John. This has been hugely entertaining and educational. And I'm looking forward to your, your follow-ups, what you guys are working on next. Oh, good. I'll definitely let you know about them. Yes, because again, it's education. You guys take care. Have a wonderful day and we will see you guys soon. Bye-bye.